Welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane. With me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Excelsior. What does that mean? It's what Stanley <laughs> would say when he would, like, sign things or oh. whatever. It's not a greeting, How? but I feel like you can use it as a greeting. Yeah. That's, I'm well, claiming it as a greeting. Well, that's very appropriate for, obviously, the first segment we're going to do today. Uh, rest in peace, Stanley, as we will get into here in a second. Um, but today is what? It's November 12th. Um, Correct. We are rolling right along. It is now in the period of eternal darkness here in Minnesota, um, which is always a pleasant time of year. Um, but other than that, we're going to talk a little bit, obviously, about Stanley, who passed earlier today, and then about um, the great, giant, awesome publishing idea of failure. Um, it's going to be. Really good, folks. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> it's going to be a, uh, a laugh. I think it is, though. I think it's going to be a really good topic. I think it's something that doesn't really come up much in a lot of the kind of the success win publishing culture that <laughs> we um, are so used to kind of seeing. Um, but before we get to any of that, um, how about you kick us off with the rundown, huh? Yeah. So we're still uh, in the first half of November, which means we have our special episodes coming at you. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, head on over to Patreon.com and look up Print Run. Uh, we have three episodes that come to you every month for either $3 a month, where you get access to the entire backlist, which is like actually days of content, or $8. Um, so we will have the query show for you at some point this week, followed by a first page show and then a floating episode mm-hmm. where we can do whatever we want. So mm-hmm. we're welcome uh to any suggestions you might have previously we've done tweet pitch uh critiques we've done synopsis critiques we've done q a's we've done all sorts of stuff um so if you have thoughts about that or you have queries or first pages or any other type of question send them to us we're at printrunpodcast at gmail.com and i'll just say you know now that it's uh, national novel writing month um i know lots and lots of you are working on stuff with that always comes questions of well, how do I edit? How do I pitch? How do I get this ready for any sort of publication review? Um, now is a really great time to sign up for our Patreon stuff because that is the kind of question we try to answer as best we can. Um, and at this point, given the giant backlist that you can get for just 3 or $8, um, I think that you will find it to be worth it. So definitely give it a thought if you're an aspiring writer looking to break in. Yeah, and if you're already a Patreon subscriber or you just like don't feel like you need it, but you also want to tell us <laughs> that we're uh, pretty and doing a good job, uh, you should head on over to iTunes mm-hmm. or your other favorite podcast app and slap a five-star rating on us. Just a nice, it feels so good to give the five, trust me. It sure you'll, does. You'll feel lighter on your feet. Like, you know after. how it feels so good to give a high five? <laughs> like, imagine doing yeah. that, but without, like, a finger, right? Yeah. Like, like do, give us a five. Mm-hmm. That'd mm-hmm. be nice. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's like uh, um, Goodreads reviews or Amazon reviews for authors, right? Like, it's the kind of thing that people notice and people pay attention to, so the better reviews that the artists and creators you get or you like get, the better they can do. So if you think that um, a great way to, a very quick and easy way to support the show is to just give us a rating on iTunes. So with that said, Laura. Excelsior! (laughs) 
I know it's yes. a very sad day, uh, but it's really fun to say. Well, so that that's kind of the thing to get, to get into, right? So today, um, the news is that um, Marvel Comics legend uh, Stan Lee has passed away. Ninety-five um, years old. Ninety-five years old. Um, a nice long life, um, and. So I guess we should open kind of talking about him because he's someone who's obviously been um, almost singularly influential in the American comics scene, the American pop culture scene. Um, he's done obviously a lot with regard to the way we think about um, characterization and superheroes and you know flaws and and imperfect characters and, and things like that. And also updating comics and yeah. making them like a real and paving the way for modern day graphic novels. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess I just want to set it up for you then because you're someone who I think um, engages a little bit more with comic stuff and, you know, like you said, graphic novels. And so what is Stan Lee, like when you think of him and you think about the kind of work that he did, uh, you know, what like, what does he mean to you? Like what do you kind of equate him with? Yeah, so I've never been a gigantic comic or superhero mm-hmm. person um but but i'm i'm of the i am of the the ilk right yeah. like i'm i'm into right. the similar things mm-hmm. um and one thing there's always this competition between marvel and dc comics right uh the idea is that some people like dc some people like marvel dc has superman for example um and Marvel has everybody in the movies that you've been watching for the past 15 years. Uh, and I have always been drawn to Marvel and Marvel properties mm-hmm. purely because of something that Stan Lee is responsible for. Um, so Stan Lee co-created or created um, basically all of the really big superheroes that we know of today in the Marvel Marvel Universe. Um but one of the things that connects them all, besides being in, you know, similar or the, the same universe, is that they're all really flawed. Yeah. And this is something that superheroes, of course, had existed before Stan Lee. Um, but he was the one that really decided that somebody who whose abilities surpass humanity, um, even even though they can, you know, shoot spider webs or you know have turn into a a green monster or is a god of thunder from a different plane Mm. like all of these characters are still dealing with something very fundamental which is um what does it mean to be human and what does it mean to be broken and so and how does that play in with all of this great power and great responsibility right. that we yeah. have? Um, and so that has always been something that as somebody who works in the creative arts, somebody who consumes media has always been really interesting to me. You know, Superman always really bored me because the stakes were never there, right? The tension was never there. It never had to be, do I save the bus of kids or do I save Lois Lane? It was always, I can save them both because I'm perfect. It also feels, um, you know, with regard to that, um, it got me, you know, hearing, you know, as we were kind of talking about this earlier today and, you know, reading up on him now, like that sort of question, like taking the stakes and making them less, uh, obviously, you know, in a superhero story, oftentimes the stakes are very much, they're very grandiose and they're very external. You know, you're trying to save the world or you're trying to defeat some giant villain. Um, But it sounds like, you know, a key innovation of his was that the stakes became very personal and interior based. Yeah. You know, and and I just think about, you know, the stories that I enjoy 
um, that often have very little to do at all with comics or anything like that. And no matter how exciting the plot and no matter how um, you know vibrant or you know action-packed the story, I, have, I always end up finding that I have a hard time caring about it if there's no stakes on, on an interior level. Like if, even if you're telling me some story about the, you know, the apocalypse, you know, the, or like the, you know, some sort of giant crazy thing happening, like the thing my eye is always going to be drawn towards, okay, well, how does this, how's this person going to be changed by this on some level that only they can tell, you know? And that to me is, it sounds like the sort of thing that he tried to bring to, you know, kind of the comics world. And I think that's really. Yeah. And and one thing, you know, that I, as somebody who works in publishing, really loves about, I mean, and Stanley is not 100% responsible for this, but mm-hmm. something that's really invigorating about the comics industry is that somebody will create an IP, like will create a yeah. character, will create a world, will create a storyline And then, like, part of the fun is, like, handing them off to other people, like, giving them to different writers, giving them to different uh, illustrators, giving giving them to to other people and, like, seeing what they do and seeing how they can expand the universe. Um, It kind of feels like a, 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 a different way then like you can the I, the the first analog that i think of in 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 novel publishing is like james patterson mm-hmm. right but james patterson still slaps his name on everything and much bigger than your name yeah, yeah. much bigger than your name whereas <laughs> yeah. like stan lee pioneered the the calling out of the creators yeah. of each comic yeah. so he would have a page that most people didn't do before he would have a page saying who inked it, who, you know, who colored it, who illustrated it, who wrote it. And, like, that is something really wonderful. There's kind of this, this, this great, this, this great, like, joint creativity that I, that I find just really lovely. Well, yeah, I mean, to me, I think that that is, um, like, that particular um, realm of work where you have, like, a piece of intellectual property or like a, a character universe that then can get, you know, a certain take delivered by a certain writer, even using the same characters that someone else with an entirely different perspective had used before. Like, that's something I professionally feel jealous that I don't get to, that I don't spend as much time in. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, that feels like that sense is really cool. And you can tell that it matters because that's the kind of stuff, like, when suddenly. You know, we start giving these, you know, comic writing jobs, you know, when, when they start going to, you know, writers of color, or, you know, you know, a special emphasis on women or anything else that sort of broadens the perspective of these universes. It just makes a certain reactionary subset of these fans so angry, mm-hmm. you know, and you can it's because this sort of thing, like taking a universe that all of us care about and broadening it out in that sort of way or providing a you know refreshing kind of moral perspective on it you know changing the character in some slight way that incorporates a perspective that maybe the universe hadn't seen before like that's really i think profound work yeah and oftentimes the way you can tell is because it irritates all the right people you know (laughs) and so i just like in so you're you're describing you know as someone less familiar with this than um than you are it sounds like this is kind of a guy who was kind of an architect in setting up a situation where, yeah, you know, we've got this, we've got this sort of set mythology, we've got this joint universe, 
but let's see what you as an individual creator can do within it. Let's and sometimes see you, he let the creators yeah. just like go hog wild. Yeah. yeah. And which I think, is pretty fun. I think that's fascinating. And I think that that's a really worthwhile and kind of a unique collective artistic achievement, you know, and I, I think that's definitely worth celebrating. So, yeah. All right. Well, Stanley, uh, Excelsior. <laughs> I just love saying it. Try it. Try it. <clears throat> I'm going to say it in my welcome voice. Are you ready? Okay. Excelsior. Oh, that's nice. How, how was it? Was it nice? It felt good. <laughs> did it feel good? I didn't have to even like cough 800 times before doing it like we do to open the show either. <laughs> it's great. Um, so um, our hard transition this week is to the concept of failure. And I think that we sort of came upon that as sort of the topic title um, at the end of our sort of pre-show conversation after what I thought was actually a very joyful conversation, which, very joyful which I think is really interesting. And the, what we were kind of talking about is this idea that that you and I come across organically in our working life a lot, which is that we'll be doing something, you know, and we'll be working on some project, whether it's pitching something or editing something or even just trying to evaluate, um, you know, which projects or authors we're trying to sign and bring in to, you know, as we build a list. Um, and it's this sense that you, like, you'll have some revelation and suddenly you'll feel like everything you've done up to that point has been incorrect or wrong, and you like feel like you've somehow like been you've doing. You've made you, tons of mistakes. Yeah, you, you've just like it just becomes so abundantly clear that all of the things you've been doing professionally up until that moment feel like extraneous or incorrect or ineffective, and it can sort of paint this sense that you are a person who is like struggling you know like your entire working life is trial and error you know and the reason i think that that's interesting because obviously that's a feeling that i'm assuming any listener who does anything whether it's you know something artistic whether it's something in a creative industry whether it's any other field obviously you know trial and error is a part of every job but one thing i think is really kind of unique about the way it exists within publishing and writing is that even as we are struggling through whatever it is. And, and struggling isn't even always the right word, right? Like sometimes it's just, you know, experimentation. It's trying things and having them not work and learn from something. Like that's not always a struggle. Sometimes it's really fun. But meanwhile, we're all, we're all watching everyone around us just constantly trumpet success after success without any vision of how they might be struggling. And it sort of creates this sense that you are the only one who is undergoing a sense of trial and error? Not to mention that yeah. the entire industry, like if if a book doesn't sell yeah. or if a book is shelved, nobody sees it. Yeah. So everything that you see in a bookstore, everything that you read, it's all success. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just so interesting, I think, because whenever I feel that way and I'm someone who, you know, to be where I am now in publishing you know, I've worked a few different jobs at a few different places. You know, I've liked certain things about those positions. I've disliked many other things about those positions. I've moved around. I've kind of bounced. And now I'm here and loving it. And I think doing, you know, I feel pretty happy and stable in my current role. And it's like one of those things where you look at everyone else's route and you look at everyone else's, you know, path and you see what they're, you like scroll through their feeds or whatever it is. And it's just this constant, like, it just seems like everything makes such perfect cohesive sense, you mm -hmm. know? And I think that it's something that we definitely, that definitely makes sense from an artistic perspective. Like, I feel like most writers, 
even though they are dealing with similar professional peer related um you know writers are very aware of what other people are doing you know other people are writing you know like i feel like they know who's getting the deals you know it's a very aware industry of each other and i feel like there's a lot of not necessarily competition but comparison you know things like that but i feel like it comes up a little less for agents because we're not totally um predisposed to treat it as the same sort of creative or artistic endeavor that say writing a book or learning how to find your artistic voice in writing is you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean we we deal with the money and we deal with mm-hmm. the contracts but but so much of what it is that we do and and i didn't quite think about it in these terms until this afternoon but so much of what we do is an art mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like being able to match make an author and their particular idea their particular book with an editor at a particular house in a time and place when you understand what else they're doing and what they're interested in and how they work. Mm-hmm. Like you're matching personality, you're matching yeah. ideas, you're matching market, you're doing all of this stuff. And it really is an art, not to mention all like the actual like editorial work that you do yeah. and development work that you do. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I think about a lot is we always like make this joke where it was like, oh yeah, if I if 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 everybody knew just like knew what would be a bestseller, then mm-hmm. we'd all be you know we'd all be rich and everything would be a bestseller. So the way that we talk about this job is explained in terms of failure, failure to not get a bestseller, failure failure to not sell a book. Uh-huh. Um, in addition, when I first started agenting, I was told by multiple people. Well, you know, like just, you know, kind of sign and figure out what it is that you want. You'll change your submission categories and you'll probably only keep about 25% of the people that you sign initially. Okay, so that is, um, I want to stop you right there because that's a really interesting point that I think a lot of people um, who listen to the show might not necessarily have ever thought about, which is this idea that you as an agent, Mm -hmm. Laura, are someone who... And keeping in mind that agenting as presented and discussed, especially online in the, you know, the kind of the online writer, you know, circles, like it's presented as this very personal job, right? Like every agent is constantly talking about how close they are with their clients. They're talking about how, you know, they're all such great friends and they're all just wrecking each other with their books. It's like this very, (laughs) you know, you know, you're laughing, but you know what I'm talking about. I know. And it's. And so that, to me, this sort of like lifelong bond that everyone seems to be discussing every time they talk about the author-agent relationship, like, tell me how you feel that that relates to what I think is a really interesting and true point that you just brought up, which is that not only do writers evolve, but you evolve as an agent, you know, and I evolve as an agent. And it means oftentimes that there's going to be list turnover, there's going to be taste turnover. And so how does... How do you like what I want to ask is, well, how does that make you feel? But like <laughs> what I guess what I'm really asking is, like, how do you kind of feel that opposition between the way we're asked to talk about our jobs versus what I think is the much more organic and honest, natural way these things kind of progress through a sort of trial and error, you know? So I I dislike the fact that I that there's not a lot of narrative built into especially help me like during the call Mm -hmm. about like 
what happens if we decide not to work together again? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like ideally, like, you know, we're in a boutique agency. Ideally, I would work with somebody for a really long time and we do many, many books together and mm-hmm. we make a ton of money and we'd be really happy. Um, but, you know, sometimes like the first time I got dropped by an author, mm-hmm. I was expecting it and uh-huh. i was still like devastated yeah. i was still super sad right. it was one of probably one of like the first six seven people i signed um and it was just it was just one of those things where like it was the wrong time for the book and the book was really good and like i was moving in a direction that wasn't quite the same as what the author wanted to do and and it just like it stopped gelling mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah um yeah, it does and I have since this year stopped working with a couple of other authors. And it's one of those, like, I'm still Facebook friends with them. Sure. I am still, right. like, you know, it's one of those things where it wasn't necessarily mutual, but it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't because of anything. It was mm-hmm. just one of those things where it's like, you know, they're just, it's just not, not this great fit. But like at the core of that, there are conversations that I have with people, some who I no longer represent, some who I still do about my failure in being able to sell their book. Yeah. And some of it, you know, like it's, and there's a million and one reasons why a book doesn't sell. But part of it is, is, you know, I signed you for this particular book and I couldn't do it. So here are the options, right? Um, and sometimes the options that are available include, you know, finding somebody else. Yeah. Like maybe I'm the yeah. wrong person or maybe just this book isn't selling or maybe, 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 maybe. Um, and I, I think a really key part to being a good agent is acknowledging that like sometimes you're just not going to be the best person. Like you might love a project and you might love an author, but it you're you might not be able to do it and you might have progressed in a certain way not necessarily have become better but you it's possible that you used to have been the correct person for that but then have you know you've changed yeah. you know into something else or the author has decided to go in a direction that isn't necessarily in line with your expertise or whatever it is yeah. and and so things happen and i guess like that sense of like i think about you know this sense of trial and error we're talking about with regard to kind of the way I have managed my own list, certainly, you know, in these first few years of agenting. I mean, I can think about, and I think specifically about, um, like, editorial work. Mm. Um, because I edit a lot for anyone who doesn't know about the kind of stuff that I do. Um, I do um, a lo- mostly nonfiction, and most of that nonfiction is commissioned, um, which is to say that... It doesn't I exist li- before you get I it. I link up with the author before it even exists, and so... There's a lot of there's a lot of back and forth, right? Like I'm not there's not the starting point is whatever the author and I create, you know, and so there's a ton of editing that goes into it. And I've found, you know, over these years, that the way in which I approach that sort of complex editorial task, like I'll be doing something, it'll be feeling it'll feel like it's going really well, right? And I'll be you know cooking along, we're making this great progress, and suddenly I'll it'll just like flash in my head that man, I wish I had done this on the book I had been working on, you know, five months ago, you Mm. know, 
-hmm. or the one that I was, you know, this thing I was dealing with, you know, man, if only I had come to whatever realization I just came to right here, you know, just now, back when I needed it earlier, you know, and suddenly, and you kind of learn, and you learn, but it also comes with this sense of um, sort of, like, retrospective, like, shame isn't the right word, but it's like, ah, oh, man, like, could, <laughs> that could have been, that could have gone better, that could have been handled better, and I think that that impulse is one that extends throughout the entire publishing world, right, like, if, like, you know, you're talking about how there's sort of this deception that happens between agents talking about the books they're selling and never showing the books they're not selling, you know? Like, there's... But, like, that's also true of successes in-house. Like, lots and lots and lots of books that are signed and are published, they don't do that well, you know? And they are... And then what what ends up happening is a publisher then looks at that track record and says, okay, you know, we did this, it didn't work, what can we do differently, what can we do better? And... So there's a sense there, too, and whether that has to do with publicity plan, whether it has to do with the type of genre they're publishing in, you know, any of that kind of stuff, it's all this constant inexact science that I feel like it just it somehow it feels missing from the discussion in a way I think is really strange because we're kind of used to only talking about accomplishments mm. in the public sphere. And I think that it's not that, that there's something wrong with that. I think that's really great. But um, I would I would think that every every project that I sell, Eric, mm-hmm. is not like so when it's talked about in public, you know, when it's one of yeah. those success stories that gets that gets that time, right? Um that project is never just, oh good, I did it. Like I I always find that selling a book will improve or enhance my job and how I do it and how I think about it Mm -hmm. and my knowledge um, in a way that goes beyond just like, hey, I got a line in Publishers Marketplace and, you know, got some money. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's really worth examining. You know, you learn things when you get offers from houses. You, You learn about what they want. You learn about what's selling. You learn about how people are thinking about properties in a way that might they might not have done before. Yeah. Um, and I also learn a little bit more about like the human condition, <laughs> which, <laughs> sure. which is what very you, so, lofty. But yeah, what I mean, so what by, mean by that, that? Yeah. is like, OK, so if we take agenting as an artistic endeavor, uh-huh. right, um, I think that a lot of people would define art as something that seeks to explore through creative means what it means to be human or what the human experience is, mm-hmm. right? Um, which, again, super lofty. But I I think that being in productive conversation with other people about, especially when money's on the line, right? Yeah. Like money, money is the key because it really just like forces you to like nut up or shut up. Mm-hmm. Um, with money is the key there you you really get to hear about what other people are drawn to and what other people see as valuable, which then causes you to reflect on things yourself. Um, Some books that I sell, I take on for reasons that are entirely different from the reasons that they sell. Mm -hmm. And almost nobody mentions them for the reasons that that I take them on. That is so interesting because I've had that experience too where it's like you'll sign something 
and you'll sign it because you believe it has you know x y or z quality that you then that you then pitch based on you know like you say hey mr mrs editor here's this um you know here's this book it's got this thing that you know really you know knocked my socks off tell me what you think and they'll come back and they say i agree that it's great but it's because of this other thing that maybe you hadn't even like thought about you know (laughs) and it's like hmm maybe you're like you're like accidentally finding like you know creative genius in things that you didn't even notice before you know, it's yeah. very strange it really and, like teaches you yeah. about yourself and then and then you kind of fall into this spiral and spiral kind of seems like a negative word but it's actually very positive where you're like okay was what i was drawn to just on the surface and what i was really drawn to was what this other person was being drawn yeah, to or is it something else yourself. and you yeah. really and you really like learn something mm-hmm. and that and that really does affect what happens with your next book and how you sell your next book and how that works. And it's a really, I mean, it's very, very interpersonal. It feels a lot like what it means to be a reader. Mm-hmm. What it is, is mm-hmm. it, it feels a lot like that. You know, it feels a lot like, you know how when you like learn a new word or you read one book that's got some really specific thematic moment or specific time or place. And then all of a sudden it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it turns out it was just, there all along but you never noticed it and then all of a sudden you do because your your mind is shifted um that's what it means to 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 be an agent and a huge part of that are the successful moments but a huge part of that are also the the failure moments the ones where no matter what you can't find that common ground between what you see and what somebody else's else sees yeah i mean it's just so it's so interesting to kind of you're you're just constantly bridging this gap between what like what you thought was going to happen and what did happen <laughs> you know and like i find myself at least in these first few years because i think one thing that's really interesting laura is that the two of us we're at the beginning of all this like yeah. i don't know i mean i we're very early in our we're careers. very early on and we both you know and hopefully i'm not being presumptuous here we both love it you know yeah and we both plan to do it for a pretty long time and like everything we've done so far in terms of time spent is mostly going to be like a rounding error in like, <laughs> in like it's the, true in like the careers we end up having and that's really interesting because i i look at things that like i i find myself learning a lot from the moments when like a book doesn't sell you know like mm. we like the example you just described is what happens when you, it sells for a different reason. I find there's actually something even more interesting when you send something out for a round of pitching and you get back, you know, from the editors you've been talking to and you get back, um, and this is a great reason to develop relationships with editors um, because you can actually get specific feedback and kind of an ongoing critical conversation with people across multiple projects. But um, you hear these responses and you think, actually, yeah, no, that is something this kind of pattern of feedback is something I should be looking for more in the projects I acquire, or I should be editing to that a little bit more strongly, you know? And you start to kind of learn, and suddenly you, it, that's where the, that's most when I start to feel like, man, I'm going to be really, really ready to start doing this job well soon and not and definitely like not right now you know unfortunately and this it, is one of those jobs where the finish line keeps moving no exactly and like and the truth of it is is that you know i am good at it in certain ways now in ways that i wasn't a few you know what i mean like you're constantly both good and bad at what you're doing and i think that that's really interesting and it makes me think a lot 
about the way um, the way we talk about writing careers, I think a lot more mm. naturally, you know, like we, we hear so much about, you know, a writer who, you know, a writer's early work, right? That's a, that's an expression we all know. Yeah. You never hear about an agent. You know, that's not, that's not something you ever yeah, say. They, they need to mature. Like, they're they're exa- growing exactly, up. Exactly. Exactly. Like, that's not something you say about an agent. It's something you say about a writer who is trying to figure out, you know, their style and their voice and their, you know, everything else that yeah. they care about as it relates to their art. And as much as I would love to jump out of a head fully formed like Athena, it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, it, it's just so, it's, it feels like such a similar progression. And you've said a couple of times already that, um, you know, you've kind of come to see um, agenting as an art. And I, I agree too, because it feels like a lot of the same questions. Mm-hmm. And most of, the, most of those questions as it relates to kind of the, the title of the topic at hand most of those questions feel born of failure. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's really artistically useful and I think that that's really interesting. And well, I mean, how many times yeah. do people, you know, have to start writing and there's always the, you know, you have to learn how to write this book even if you've written mm-hmm. 100 before. Yeah. Or, you know, I have six novels that are just in a drawer somewhere that will never see the light of day because they're horrible, mm-hmm. right? And and there's this idea that that writing is is the one part of the publishing process that needs to be learned mm-hmm. yeah, and exactly. never mind that you know we're out here trying to establish a list with a particular tastes mm-hmm. and uh, have a particular brand um and move forward that way and be known by that and, and you're also doing it within the same sort of conditions a writer is right like a writer you know as you think of like the you know the up-and-coming writer they definitely have to do something else for income Mm -hmm. because you don't just start making money the day you declare yourself a writer similarly to the fact that you don't just start making money the day you declare yourself an agent either you know most of the time you've got to yeah (laughs) most of the time exactly uh you've got to sell books you know and so it's the same sort of thing where you start like there's this sense of trying to come into your own as someone who simply just wants to do it more, you know? So I have a question for you, Eric. Sure. A couple of weeks ago, we did an episode on creative burnout, mm-hmm. and we talked specifically mm-hmm. about what burnout looks like from an agent's perspective. Yeah. Given kind of the general negativity <laughs> of what burnout means, uh-huh. right, and the general positivity of what we have been talking about as failure in this conversation, mm-hmm. like, where where is the line there like when does this go from being good to being bad to me it comes down and i think like burnout you know there's not as much you know i don't think it's necessarily a logical answer you know because like i think burnout is something like it's it's a feeling you know it's something that color it's something that colors and augments the way you might otherwise view something favorably you know but i think that the difference to me when a failure feels good versus when a failure feels bad is when I feel like it still has gotten me somewhere. Yeah. Or when it feels like there's something that can be engaged with in a use in a useful way that I can see right away. Yeah. And that sometimes is, you know, like a lot of the time, you know, I'll pitch a book and maybe they'll reject it, but then, you know, that same editor will say, "But let's definitely chat and collaborate on the next thing you've got, you know? And let's, you know, let's make sure that, you know, you're pitching us, you know, new things in the future because it's clear that we've got some overlapping taste." Like that is to me the sort of conversation that is born of you know a miss right like it's born of a project not but it it's you can see how it sort of builds into something that's going to be useful next Mm -hmm. and 
that's the, you know, and that kind of thing I think is really useful. Or like editing something and going back and forth with a writer and, you know, getting a specific um, response out of them that makes you think, oh, I could, you know, I could edit that differently. And I think burnout happens when you stop seeing the consolation prizes. Mm. It's when something bad happens and you just feel like you're at the end of your rope with it. It just feels like, man, there's just, like, you just need something to go exactly the way you planned for it to go or you you consider it kind of a binary failure, you know? Like, maybe, actually, maybe that's the way to put it is failure, you know, success and failure feel entirely binary during burnout. Sure. You know, because there's no middle ground for learning. There's no middle ground for creative growth. There's simply, did the work task I set in front of me work or not? And when the answer is no, then you don't find any value in it. And yeah, I I say often that I learn something the most like I learn lessons more completely when I fuck up than Mm -hmm. anything else, Mm -hmm. because there's something there's something wonderful about just like messing up so bad and having it like be your fault or having it be something where like yeah. you have to fix it you know what i mean like that that honestly is the best yeah, part you've of gotta it you got to set something on fire to get there well, you know what i mean yeah, and that's like but, fun yeah, yeah it's cold outside let's do it um yeah but when something something just like goes horribly wrong there is something so empowering and so exciting about the the fixing mm-hmm. right about the okay here is the way forward and I feel for me, I think that that is a big difference between failure and and like that burnout feeling, yeah. right? Yeah. Which all which feels like you're a failure all the time, which is honestly not any different from being a good agent. Like as a good <laughs> agent, you should feel like you're failing all the time yeah. because then you're not taking risks. And just right? so you know, everyone who's listening to this, all the agents that you love online definitely feel like failures all the time we get g g chats and emails and text messages all the time being like i'm having a horrible time exactly um but but yeah about about that that growth and that mm -hmm. revision and that fixing like there you have you're creating the path right that that is a path that you do not need to stray from ever again yeah which is exciting and so much of being an agent is is forging new paths. And sometimes you do it exactly right and you, you know, you've done your scouting ahead and you you anticipate exactly who's gonna take the book and what they're gonna say and how it's gonna go and then it's gonna sell and it's gonna be great. Mm-hmm. Um, but other times you have a plan and it turns out that, you know, you're in the jungle instead of the desert. Yeah. And you know, that that is actually something that explains a lot now that I'm talking about this, Eric. It explains a lot about what I find the most satisfying about agenting, which is helping authors with their career when they have multiple ways forward. Yeah. Right. So when you're yeah. a debut, your way forward is to sell your debut um, with a more established author. It's not just that, that they can like get more money or anything like what is exciting to me about an established author is that they're at point X and they want to be at point Z and there's 18 ways to go from X to Z and you get to strategize with them and you get to say, okay, we're going to do this first. And if that doesn't work, we're going to do this. And it's, and the whole strategy is built around failure. Yeah. And that is what's exciting to me because you're building, you're, you're, you're building a path, right? You're paving the road. And 
And so that that is what I'm really drawn to and what I find really exciting. I would say that that sense of collaborative failure, I guess, is almost a way to put it, right? It's like you're working with someone in a way that, you know, maybe, you know, plan A didn't necessarily work, but somehow failing on plan A is going to lead you to plan B. Like, that's a feeling that I know that I've felt has been some of the most rewarding interactions yeah. I've had in agenting. It's like, you know, pitching something to people and having them say, well, what if what if they author wrote this book instead? You know, and then, you know, talking to the, you know, the author and saying, well, hey, what do we think of this idea that this editor is interested in for you? And having them say yes, and I like that better than the first book we originally pitched. Isn't that even, great? It's the best because it it's just such a great progression of, well, we wouldn't have gotten there without this original idea. But now that we are here, like we can kind of push forward with it. And so I think that that sense of artistic collaboration, and it does feel artistic to me. Like I know that, you know, we, um, you know, you and I have to do a lot of things that are not at all considered art at all as part of this job. <laughs> but a lot of it is, I think. And I think that, you know, that sort of, you know, editing and thinking through things like that, I think that there is something really kind of um, beautiful about it. Yeah. And it matters a lot to me. And I think that, it's key to kind of see that instead of the, oh, plan A didn't work, which I know that, you know, anyone can kind of lulled into feeling like a lot of the time. I'm in the middle of a book deal right now mm -hmm. um, that is with one of my more established authors. And this author wrote this novel that I loved and it was going to be the, per the first of a series. And I very quietly, casually subbed it to, you know, five, six editors that they already have a relationship with. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we decided to completely scrap the entire, like an entire book. Like, you know yeah. how much work it takes yeah. to write an entire book yeah. and take the characters and change the concept from something contemporary to something speculative. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that moment where it was, oh, okay, I, I'm not getting the chance to to fail my way through this contemporary novel <laughs> instead i am going to bet with this author on all of this new work turning into something fruitful and so it was one of those processes where the author essentially failed their way through eighty thousand words and started mm -hmm. a new book mm -hmm. and then i failed my way through you know, subbing it the first time yeah. and then had to sub it the second time, but with only a partial, which was also something new and exciting. And I definitely failed at several times. <laughs> and but now, like something really great is coming of it. And, and it's just it's just. Yeah. What's interesting about it is all anyone other than you sees out of that is the deal memo at the end. For the one yeah. book, you know, yeah. everyone's like, "Oh, look at that! Laura sold another book, and it probably took her two weeks to just kind of sign it and do it really easy." Man, Laura's just a hit maker, and no one ever sees all that kind of goes into any of this no. stuff. You know, and I had it's... given up on selling Lily Anderson's first book, yeah. and it started to sub an entirely different project. Mm -hmm. When an offer came in on her first book. Yeah, see, that's And then it the became, best. you know, part of, it, it was two books, mm -hmm. and, you know, now she's got three out there, mm -hmm. and I had given up. I would given up on selling the book <laughs> when an offer came in. I'm yeah. not even joking. No, I, it's just... Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. What the, what's the point of having a podcast if you can't yell about how we're quitters? Right? <laughs> <laughs> 
If I wasn't a quitter, I wouldn't have a podcast. It's like, you know how uh, people talk about their miracle babies? Yeah. Like, they they, d- yeah. they found out that they're, like, infertile yeah. or something, and then they exactly. just, like, miraculously get pregnant. Exactly. That was the book. That was my miracle baby. Um, anyway, let's Should move we on. Yeah, let's move on to our Tulunit May Concern. Really our most vibrant segment. This is really kind of came out of nowhere, but people I, have been sending in the good stuff, so I we keep doing it. I love this segment yeah. more than probably I like you. Oof, which man. which is a good thing for both of this Oof, segment, and it says a lot man, about my well, feelings about you. We're gonna talk about this off air, um, <laughs> but I'm gonna re- I'm gonna read this to you. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> to Luna may concern. Three years ago, I signed a series with a small press without an agent. I haven't been lucky slash good enough for that. After checking every writer beware website I could find, comparing it to every how to tell a small press isn't crap article I could find, and reading everything about literary contracts I could find, I thought it checked out okay. That's a very ominous start to (laughs) to a letter, but here we go. Since then, the press has had me write a whole new book to preface the series. Long story, the important part is I finished and turned it in over a year ago, and we've gone through a total of five pages of editing. For the past year, my editor keeps promising pages by such and such date and then radio silence. I was told many months ago that they were aiming for fall time for the release of this book. I get that this industry is slow, so I need help knowing if this is just the publishing industry or if there's another problem. I'm trying so hard not to be that author who's high maintenance, and the underlying complication is that I'm frustrating and getting resentful and don't know what to trust or who to to think. Is this normal, three years from signed contract and over a year since a new novel's delivery, that only a few pages have been worked on? I thought part of the beauty of small presses was that they, was that they can be more flexible and have a shorter turnaround time. I have so much energy and passion to tear this book apart, make it better, and market the hell out of it, and instead everything is just disappointing and like no one cares. According to my contract, if the first book isn't out by the end of this year, both parties can walk away without consequences. So if this is bad, that's the bright side. But if I do leave, I don't think this series will find another home. Now that it's three years later, I think it has elements that agents and publishers will shy away from as they are a little overdone in the industry. So what do I do when walking away means another five plus years of work to maybe get another contract on something else I write? It's just crushing. I was supposed to be a debut author this year. So I need someone actually experienced in the publishing industry to tell me, do I split or have a very serious conversation with my editor? And what do I even bring to the table in that conversation? Dejected and debuting. Not in Seattle this time. Not in Seattle. Um, Man, a lot going on here. Yeah. So, okay. So there are a lot of pieces here. Um, First, I would like to say that it is very standard to have a clause in a contract about, you know, if the book isn't out by such and such such date, you right. can walk away and get your rights back. Right. Usually that's 18 months, not three years. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're at double that time. Um, I will say that it is November 12th, and if you haven't even received edits back, uh, your book's not coming out this year. So um, the good news is the question is, do I split or have a various conversa- very serious conversation with my editor? Uh, you do one first and then the other. I was going to say my suggestion here. So a few things just for listeners. The things that um, sort of jump out to me here are, one, the radio silence. Yep. That would that bothers me. Um, I think that um, at the very least, I mean, I, I totally get This is one of those positions where, 
Like, I get why an author doesn't want to feel high maintenance, especially as things continue to kind of not go the way they want. Like, you sort of get, it sort of gets coupled with this feeling that maybe the reason it's not going the way you want is because you're somehow misbehaving as an author, you know? And I think that here, that is, um, that is not the case. And I think that it is, you're well within your rights to ask for a real conversation about it. I can say that I don't quite, I've never heard of like a like five pages of editing. Yeah, at once. that's very like that, strange. Like that strikes me as really odd. Um, either like it would shock me less to hear that they just hadn't started it, you know. Um, but so I think that, you know, I think that the answer here is is that it's time to really get in touch and let them know that you are, of course, you know, if if this is in fact true, you are still, of course, happy that you're publishing with them, that you're excited about the prospects of getting started, but it's been a long time. You've waited more than, you know, you should have ever feasibly had to, and you deserve some transparency, and I think that you do, and I think that you're not high maintenance for asking for that. After three years. Certainly not. Like, I think you're well within your rights to kind of raise that conversation, and I think your instinct about a small press um, is that they should be able to pay attention a little bit better than maybe a larger place is... I think I think it's accurate. I would say that the other thing with small presses, though, is that they're often much more disorganized Very than true. a larger house. So yeah, you've got people who maybe you know, like it's a smaller staff with a smaller list. But um, what might have also happened is that they might have done a book before yours, and they were expecting it to bring in money, and then they didn't, and they might be out of money for editing. They might be out of money, out of manpower. But the point is, the point is that it's time to. Um, the point is that it's time to have a conversation, and I think there's a perfectly professional way to, once again, reiterate, reiterate your enthusiasm, if it's still there, and I think for the purposes of the email, it should be. Yeah. You know, even if you're not, like, even if you're, like, furious, but you still want to just get this book out with this press, be enthusiastic in the email, you yeah. know, but also get across this idea that, um, you know, it's time for them to, for them to, uh, for you to talk, for you two to talk, because... Yeah. It's well past that time, and they owe that to you, and I think that you're within your rights to ask for it. And I will say that you seem like you're really savvy of this business, Mm -hmm. right? You want to market the hell out of this book. You also know that your chances of getting another home for this project, if this place doesn't shake out, uh, are very low, particularly because of the um, market saturation of whatever your book is about. Um, that speaks to very uh, canny uh, <laughs> business business mm-hmm. sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I will say that if if this place, it's it's better to have this book done well than it is to have this book out. If that makes sense. Yes. So so what I'm yes. saying is is that you, dear dear dejected D&D. in dear D and D, my favorite <laughs> of the things. Um, I will say that if you know that this is your only chance to be traditionally published in whatever way, shape, or form for this project, I would seriously consider self-publishing this project if if it doesn't go through because it seems like you have the right attitude for it. It seems like you want to really rip it apart and make it better. It seems like you want to market it. It seems like you have that drive and that high quality standards, um, which is necessary for somebody who is successful at self-publishing. I will also say 
that whenever an agent or a publisher says that something is oversaturated in the market, that doesn't mean that people aren't reading it. It means that people aren't buying it at the level that it will take to recoup their costs, which are very different from Mm -hmm. the cost that it will take as a self-published author. So feasibly, you could go right to your audience and you could sell the hell out of this book, even though the industry doesn't quote unquote support it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I will say that I know that that's not Necessary. I know that you wanted to be published with a traditional press. Um, and I don't suggest self-publishing to everybody. I mean, obviously, I'm also a literary agent. But I think that for you, if, if it's something that, you know, you've got two books in this series, right? You sold the one and then they made you write a completely separate one, which I am also a little sketchy on in especially, terms of that contract. Especially, that is also, side note, another reason why you're absolutely within your rights to like get at whoever it is you know at this press and say it's time for a real conversation right and not an email like i would say i mean email is great but like get i would get on the phone with these people Mm -hmm. if you could um that would be like get someone to tell you in real time what's happening yeah and and you know it's one of those things where you can it, it's 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 a weird situation writing yeah. a, a yeah. prequel when you're already under contract for another one. So I'm not sure if this prequel is under contract. I'm not entirely certain. Um, but know that you have a lot of content and it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to toss it if this place falls through mm-hmm. and doesn't live up to their end of the bargain. Let me ask you one. So to wrap this up, one other question that might be worth kind of looking at. Mm-hmm. What if you you know, we get queries from time to time. Yep. You and me as agents. We get queries from authors with deals. Yeah. Or with, um, or with uh, you know, like an offer, you know, right? Do you think that there's any sense in, and I know that if people have come to me for this before, but is there any reason why this author might not, like, maybe shoot an email around and try to find representation to help them with this? Because this is, like, this is the sort of thing that you have an agent for, right? And she, she kind of, right. you know, there's sort of a, reference here to um you know maybe you know they they don't necessarily feel you know good enough or you know and i think that that's probably mostly just projection right like this is someone who i think especially with a deal in hand would theoretically be a candidate to find representation you know like i guess it's it's tough to know what to make of it because i don't think you could find representation in this current situation because Um, what you'd be asking for is an agent to help you navigate a deal that's already in place, Mm -hmm. not one that's on the table. Mm -hmm. So I get a lot of emails from people saying, hey, I just got this offer. Like, do you want to be my agent? Yeah. Uh, And then sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is no. The only way that I would consider getting into this mess is if there was another project I was signing them for. Mm -hmm. Like, if there was a project that I could sell. Because, like, if, if you need backup or representation go to the author's guild yeah if you have a a new if you have a new project and you also want somebody to go to bat for you then you can go to an agent Mm -hmm. um but with just this one like an agent won't make money from this book because the deal's already in place they haven't executed the the deal yeah so you and and not to say that agents are cold and unfeeling but like you know that would be a factor yeah yeah, that's a factor um because it just it takes a lot of time to mess around with stuff like this so option number one reach out yourself option number two uh have the authors guild help option number three pull and self-publish yeah 
I think that I think that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for listening to us uh, talk about failure and comics. Um, we will be back later this month with all of our special episodes as regu- as well as some regular ones. And we will see you for a regular episode next week. Bye.